0: I'm Ali Jennings, creative content producer here at Genomics England, and you're listening to The G Word. Through conversations we have on this podcast, we hope to share the benefits of genomics with everyone. Genomics is a word that can trigger strong responses, hope, fear, anger even. And there's a lot of information out there, but it's not all accessible to non-experts. So now we want to talk more about this word, the G Word, genomics. Genomics England recently hosted the Genomics England Research Summit, an event bringing together many of the great and the good of the genomics community to talk about the cutting-edge science of genomics and where the field is headed. So this week, on the G Word, I'm excited to be joined by four of the people who helped make that event happen. Dalia Kasparavichuta, Head of Genomic Data Sciences for Rare Disease at Genomics England, was Chair for the event's Rare Disease track. Alona Sasinski, Scientific Director for Cancer, was chair for the cancer track. Francisco Azuaje, director of bioinformatics, chaired the track focused on emerging technology. And Maxine McIntosh, who is program lead for diverse data at Genomics England, was part of the team leading the policy and initiatives track. Hello, everybody.
1: Hello. Hello. Hello.
0: (laughs) Hello. Gingerly
2: saying hello there.
0: (laughs) Dahlia, can I ask you first, can you explain just in a nutshell, what was your track covering?
1: So we were quite lucky because our track covered the whole introduction of like what Genomics England is doing mostly for genomic medicine but also when we transitioned into more specialized rare disease uh, subject and the patients with very di- disease was one of the main focus from Genomics England right from the start of the company and uh, therefore we focused on what uh, is going on what improvements in the field happened over the last seven years and most recently what impact it has for patients and where we are heading next.
0: And how was it getting all of those speakers up on stage? Was it exciting?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, after two years being virtual to have all those people in person and being able to talk to them and uh, seeing them and seeing all the excitement and all the people who came to listen to them, its just amazing.
0: Uh, and. From all the people that you saw, um, if you were going to pick one talk that really stood out, that was really, really got to you, which one would that be?
1: Um, that is a very, very difficult question because I was thinking about it all day today and I uh, still keep jumping from one to another. I mean, I personally really loved the talk from Professor Diana Barale from Univers- University of Southampton, um, who was talking about. Uh, RNA sequencing and impact of RNA sequencing for patients with rare disease. And in genomics, as we call Genomics England, for a long time, we mostly focused on looking at people's genomes uh, and genomic sequences. But we can tell, take us under that far and to look further and to get more impact, we look, need to start looking at other types of the data. And the closest type of the data to genome, to genome sequence is RNA, it is the first product which comes out of genome, next one. and if we can't start looking at what uh, impact uh, has RNA, studying RNA has on patients, and we'll recover more diagnosis, we'll recover, uh, we'll get closer to the function of the changes of the genome, and we get closer to the treatments for the patients with rare disease.
0: And was there maybe Something in particular which you learned from that talk or or from another really favoured talk which has stuck with you?
1: So I think one of the things that we were saying that all these technologies need to start getting uh, translated into clinical practice as soon as possible. There will be a lot of challenges, but if we can address them and if we can get them closer to clinic, uh, we'll serve our patients much, much better.
0: And Alana, obviously your stage, the cancer stage is... Uh, similar in that it's, it's tackling a specific part of the healthcare landscape. H- how was the event on that stage?
3: Amazing. <laughs> uh, we have um, absolutely stunning first session, which was mainly focused, which was very clinically focused. Uh, we had a guest from scientific director from Hartwick Foundation, um, another well-known flagship of um, clinical cancer genomics, Edwin Kupin. Um, we find out that we have a lot of similar challenges, slightly different approaches to how we solve it, we can learn a lot from each other. We also have our two champions of implementing whole genome sequencing into clinical practice, specifically for pediatric cancer. Uh, One is Professor uh, Matthew Murray from um, Cambridge and also Jack Bartram from Great Ormond Street. They both just went through the real-life cases of of patients um, whose material was submitted to the genomic medicine services. And what are the insights that they learned from the whole genome sequencing? What are the changes that were done to the patient management? And in Jack's talk, it was like 12 12 patients, one after another. It it was amazing. (laughs) I think... Next time people start questioning utility of the whole genomes um, for the cancer patients, we just send them to this excerpt of, it's just 15 minutes going through these 12 patients.
1: Yeah, I just want to second that. I mean, I wasn't, uh, obviously I was thinking the disease track, but was, was it was such a recurrent thing in the summit. We had clinician after clinician, clinical scientists, researchers coming and showing us the impact that it gives for patients, for individual patients. We still know a lot of challenges, we need to improve things, we need to make this diagnosis faster, but just seeing we had, uh, for example, Dr. Danny Gale uh, was talking about kidney disease uh, and uh, he was just showing like how much impact it has for changing treatments, uh, introducing or deciding not into tr- treatment depending on the, the diagnosis that uh, patients get from whole genome sequencing. That was just amazing. But uh, we really need to make some montage of all those cases for showcase.
0: <laughs> and did you guys find that um, obviously after the last two years where it's been largely indoors, we've not really seen too much of each other, that when you could get out and talk to your colleagues about all this kind of Stuff that it it added something to the whole event.
3: Yes, it was so different to see, not just see these uh, people face to face, all these familiar faces, but to see them in a single space was very energetic, (laughs) very inspiring. Um, I started talking about clinical sessions, but then afternoon sessions were mainly focused on research. Um, And we had research conference, I think it was two and a half, three years ago. And at that time it was mainly kind of, it sounded research that was presented there. Um, It was like a first glance on the 100K cohort. So in in a way it, it feels a bit secondary. People just were confirming previous findings. But this time around we had really hard time to pick up um speaker for presentations abstracts for presentations and the quality of presentations was amazing and there were a lot of like new things that we didn't know before discoveries if you want um and we also start seeing how size actually matter um you put together 100k cohorts with the heartwick cohort with icgc cohort and you discover new and rare stuff that you didn't see before in like 3,000 genomes from ICGC only. For example, we start seeing a lot of insights from the non-coding regions, which we questioned until now. So that was a very
0: new thing. That's really exciting that after all this time, suddenly you're sort of being deluged with a whole mass of new findings to start to sift through and you can meet and talk about it. And Francisco, your stage a little bit different, maybe emerging technologies. What was that about?
4: This is about the technologies and the tools that make scientific progress and uh, advances in clinical care possible. So this track covers not only those technologies that allow researchers and clinicians to generate more data, but also, and perhaps more importantly, to analyze those data and make those data meaningful. So in this track, we cover a great variety of approaches and tools to generate data, analyze data, uh, make predictions about uh, the outcomes of patients, for example. And that's why this track included talks about AI, about bioinformatics, about data generation platforms, etc.
0: And was there a particular talk or even a particular tool which generated a lot of excitement?
4: Also, this is a hard question for me, but uh, if I have to pick one uh, talk, uh, that's the one by Jane Osborne, uh, who's chief scientific officer of Alchemath Therapeutics. Um, For me, that was a very interesting case that showcases the the combination of strong science with cutting edge technologies. With also a very interesting approach, which basically started with the idea of let's look at healthy patients or, or patients with cancer or other conditions, but who have resilience or display some good outcomes. And let's investigate what, how and why these patients are different and try to learn from that data to find potential therapeutic uh, opportunities for, for patients that have worse outcomes.
0: Did that uh, lead into a lot of other conversations with other kinds of people uh, who we may be presenting different kinds of technologies which could uh, synergize is the word I want to use?
4: Absolutely, because in the end the focus is not on technologies or particular tools, the focus is on solving problems for patients and advancing science. So The technologies and tools are just ways to tackle those challenges. And then you will have different ways to do it, but also different ways to complement each other.
0: Hearing all of you talk about your, uh, I've asked you this arbitrary question to pick one person and and one thing. I want to hear more. Tell me. Francisco, um, name me another technology. I mean, obviously, AI, it's very buzzwordy, but it's always fascinating. Was there a particular advancement being made there that caught your eye? I was actually going to
2: say that 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 panel of Francisco's was my my non data favorite sage speaker. so he
4: should definitely talk about that. Yeah, no, and I I would like to hear Maxine telling us why that was so exciting. But very quickly, yes, AI was a key aspect, including that panel that Maxine refers to uh, also, we have talks by uh, people who are doing research or, or developing technologies for reading the human genome in different ways, including new technologies such as long-read sequencing, which allows you to have a more comprehensive view of the whole of the, whole of the human genome. So we had presentations by key providers key competitors, key players, commercial players in the, in the field, but also presentations by, by researchers at Genomics England. And that was very exciting for me because that shows not only the expertise that we have uh, in the company, but also that highlights that we are doing more than just providing data or giving access to data or generating data. We are really doing a good job at looking to, into those data and making sense of those data.
0: Uh, Maxine, why did you like that panel so much?
2: Incredibly selfishly, but there was such a big focus on um, the role, kind of the well, the future of data-driven innovations being around fairness and equity and open source, which are all kind of big themes that matter a lot to me in diverse data. So um, even though it wasn't really about that at all, um, that for me was quite a big focus of the conversation, which was music to my ears. Also, I'm not a geneticist by background. My background is in fairness and machine learning. And so having been like thrown in the deep end of genetics for the last sort of seven, eight months, it felt quite nice to be in 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 an environment where I could understand all the words and understandable terms, having had about seven months of thinking, oh my God, where have I gone scientifically?
0: Um, And Francis, can I just ask, um, drilling down a little bit into what these kind of AI and machine learning tools are actually doing, can you give me maybe a specific example of of how they could actually be used, maybe that came up during the conference?
4: Yes. uh, One way AI is helping researchers and clinicians and patients is, one, making things faster. So with these technologies, Clinicians and researchers can spend less time going through the details of the data and trying to, to discover something in the data and make predictions about the data. So, that's one thing. All these technologies can help accelerate research, can help clinicians and researchers focus their attention on the most complex challenges and creative work, and let the machines focus on the pattern recognition, the automation the combination of data. So that's one thing, but there is another aspect. These technologies are already showing how in cooperation with human experts, uh, you can improve the quality of the predictions of the outcomes that these machines, that these tools can make about patients, not only about the diagnostic, uh, about the, the diagnosis, but also about potential ways to act on those And uh, For example, uh, prioritise potential therapeutic uh, opportunities for these patients.
0: So exciting. So your, your algorithm wouldn't just try and tell you what was wrong, but also suggest a potential pathway for you to maybe get better.
4: These algorithms can tackle these problems and in the end uh, optimise uh, the value that data and human experts can provide to help to bring benefits to patients
0: and and Maxine, just coming to your um part of the the event um this is policy and initiatives am i am i right
2: uh, yep, it was a quite a, a sort of broad ranging stage yeah
0: and what does this focus on
2: so uh John mcington has kind of core activities and then it's got these things called spending review initiatives which are effectively kind of special initiatives that um, sit alongside kind of activity as usual and look to kind of complement the work that Jill does in slightly different ways um, and these three spending review initiatives are Cancer 2.0, newborns and diverse data so um, I was very much there in the diverse data capacity but I did spend a lot of time looking uh, at the other sessions because I think that when when you're in the bowels of kind of planning programs and running programs you know I've been sharing lots of operational conversations with my colleagues so it was really nice to sit back and actually think wow you've you've done amazing design of of initiatives so newborns is just a fantastically complex and complex scientifically ethically um clinically and program it was wonderful to kind of hear some of the amazing work they've done and specifically around the ethnographic work they've done to understand the motivations and needs around mothers and who might consent to um, engage in this program
0: so uh can you explain just in a little bit more detail what kinds of considerations they were taking on board and how maybe do we think about designing what Genomics England does with their programme to take that into account?
2: Well, in some respects, I think Darlene is in, in, in a much better position um, because she's so close to this work. But I guess for me, um, the things that I was really taking away is that um, in order for newborns to be kind of a truly effective clinical and research programme, Um, they really need to take into account the different ways that different types of communities, different types of mothers think about the value of genomics and sort of messaging that they want, the sort of their desires and outcomes and how, um, you know, what do they feel about um, unknown risks? What do they feel about, um, you know, genomics in general and just the sheer heterogeneity of views and insights that this program has to factor in and um, so it was really nice to, to hear the work that was um, uh, led by their designer um, and I think just generally hearing work led by designers is always a bit interesting because if you work in a scientific environment it's not often that you interact with um, designers and I don't mean designers people who do wonderful branding work designers who think about human behavior and human interactions so um, I'm always baffled when a designer speaks because it's just not the way in which my brain operates um, so yeah it's like music to my ears but it's sometimes he washes over me.
0: Uh, and Jale, did you have some thoughts about the way that the newborn programme was going? And...
1: Yes, yeah, so as Maxine said, it's absolutely amazing, but it's absolutely so complex programme. And uh, important thing is that it has to work and it has to work for everyone. It has to work for babies, it has to work for families, it has to work for infrastructure, for healthcare system. So it's you need to take all that into account and something which may be seem all right on one level you know that it may not be sort of accepted or acceptable on a different level. Um, but I wanted to echo Maxine and uh, not about this newborns program but about the whole way Genomics England operates and the whole way research summit was uh, ran and uh, with participants and patients in mind. So participants were in the audience, but we also gave uh, speakers the questions in advance, so we knew the speakers, we saw the abstracts, uh, conversations, uh, we opened, and a lot of speakers uh, in my track started with talks from answering participants' questions, um, and I think that I've never been in a conference which was run like that, like that and which actually was uh, not aimed not only at uh, researchers, clinicians, people who speak that language, like different language, but actually thinking about how do you explain it to everyone and how to, do you take all those use into account. So newborns as a new programme um, has it in its heart because if it's not going to work for family, if it's not going to work for healthcare system, if it's not going to work for everyone, it's not going to work, so it has to be. And we need it to work because we need to treat those babies. No, no, I was just going to say that actually that was one of the things that we were quite conscious
2: of um, in our panel. So we did a um, we did a thing called a musical panel um, where we had two empty seats on the stage and we invited, I mean, I say invited, in some cases I kind of woman-handled people up on stage. Um, but we, the idea is that we picked people from the audience to temporarily sit as a panelist. So 50% of the panel was kind of constantly changing. And um, that's a really nice way to make sure that you're Kind of sharing the stage with people in the room and the conversation that you're having is actually representative of the people and the expertise in the room as well. Um, And so even though it was kind of logistically a bit complicated and a few people definitely got up on stage and Seemed both terrified and embarrassed and angry. I mean, in equal measures. Actually, the diversity of the conversation we had, which you know included some patients, included some clinicians, it included some people who've been working on diversity projects across the world. Um, you know, there's the people who actually I would have never necessarily come across had I invited them as, as speakers. Um, so it was quite a good way of sharing the stage with with more people.
0: I think that's really interesting, both of those two points from both of you. Um, but they they seem to come back to this idea of engagement and that the the, both the speakers and, and obviously running your panel, Maxine, you would have engaged more with the audience and engaged with the patients. Um, Francisco, did you find that you were getting a lot of engagement from your audience?
4: In general, there was I, um, I was happy with the engagement from the audience, both in person and online. Uh, of course, sometimes you have more engagement from the in-person audience, uh, but overall, it was very positive. Uh, one example uh, was the panel that uh, we were referring to. A lot of uh, engagement, both online and in person. Uh, but also, I I know that there were many discussions uh, after those session. After the session was uh, after during the breaks, for example, uh, during the coffee breaks and so on. And uh, so that was very positive.
0: And Alona, I, I know that. I managed to catch part of Serena Nick talk and I know that people there were so many people in that there's so much engagement there did you find that that was going throughout the cancer stage?
3: Yes we have a lot of questions from the audience so yes yes I would say <laughs> audience was pretty much engaged um, and I also wanted to to well, one of the um, one of the abstracts that we invited to to present um, it was from Alistair Pagnamenta. Uh, he was looking at the inversions in the cancer genes in a patient with um, inherited cancers um, so it's pretty new thing uh, look at the big inversions in the germline and he also uh, brought one of the patients with him pa- patient in whose genome he find an example of this big inversion in the in a cancer gene and patient also shared his experience um why he find that um, this diagnosis was so important for him and obviously also for his for children so yes it's engagement from patient engagement from audience
0: that's amazing um that must have been quite a, an emotional moment
3: Yes, it's not, as Dale said, it's not something that we used to <laughs> on Zain TV conferences.
2: We definitely had a, a slightly kind of emotional moment in the diversity initiative whereby, um, in, maybe this is slightly unusual because I was effectively trying to separate the room, but we got the audience members to sit in a position of a PCA plot, which is basically, you know, for those of you who don't know, you, they basically sat in a representation of their ancestral background in a in a room, which basically meant the people of different ancestries were kind of clustered together. And um, as expected, some individuals who were kind of quite mixed, so a specific um, guy was mixed, um, Indian and Ugandan, were kind of a bit unsure about where to sit. And the whole point was it stimulated a conversation about ancestries and and and, and minorities and majorities and, and what that really means. And, you know, he said that uh, uh, following that, exercise in the panel afterwards that he learned more about himself in fact that he is this kind of mix of cultures and what does that mean genetically and how much would he listen to that that he'd ever thought about before. Um, so despite the fact it was a slightly silly kind of audience engagement gimmicky game um, which maybe could have gone wrong because you were effectively ancestry segregating the room it stimulated a really important conversation about what does ancestry mean to people and especially for people who have mixed ancestry.
0: It does feel like a lot of conversations were stimulated by that whenever I went into the main room um, it was just a hubbub all the time. Um, Dalia, what what do you think your favorite moment of the whole thing was?
1: I think when it's we ended the last talk and after that we went outside. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was such a relief that it's all went few like nothing you know, happened uh, on the stage, which uh, would make us very nervous, because, you know, we we celebrate our patients and participants and uh, researchers and clinicians, but also when you, it's quite uh, nerve-wracking sometimes to have them all in one place, because you don't know what to, you know, it's a lot of stimulation, it's very energizing, but also can be quite unpredictable. Um, but also we haven't been in any such scale live event I haven't been for the last two years, so you forget uh, what it is, what it is like to stand on the stage. I mean, that's like no no one fell over and no one, like, you know, all microphones worked, most of the microphones worked, I must say, um, a few hiccups uh, and so on. So it's actually like it was quite a relief, but uh, but another thing is I went out to the hall and I just saw all people talking to each other. We had uh, a very active abstract session where all sort of jun- more junior researchers um, presenting their work and it was uh, really like it's really nice to see like people going talking to them like having their drink and uh, just to see all that research as Alona said which stems from our data sets now so our data sets are not s- supplementing some other sort of big projects now but it actually stimulates the research itself so in our daily work at least for me we are a lot focusing on the impact on patients, uh, but there is this other aspect of genomics England was to stimulate the research. Uh, and uh, but, uh, I think this research summit was a testament to that because we saw like this amazing quality of work from both junior researchers and more advanced to uh, senior research, uh, which stems from the data which uh, 100,000 genomes and now genomic medicine service is generating.
0: And Francisco, if you had to pick one moment, what do you think it would be?
4: For me, the every time I have the I had the opportunity to to establish a, a connection, to to see a colleague, to to catch up on on something that was connected to the conference or not, to share the excitement of the company with so many people, uh, Genomics England, but also outside genomics England, including people outside London and England. <laughs> so these were for me the, the best moments. Um Alana
3: Yeah I think well, the entire thing was exciting, <laughs> but I remember when I get to stage uh, to introduce um, Edwin Kupin, who was the first speaker um, on the cancer genomics track, and I was just, it's happening, it's happening, we did it.
0: I have so. Uh, my favourite moment was when... Um... Uh, a woman came to sign up to sign into the conference at three in the afternoon and we just thought oh god she's just she's completely late she was like no 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 no! i was watching online i just had to come down i wasn't too far away i just had to come back and see it in person um, and maxine
2: i've probably got a, a couple of favorite moments on a different axes so one i really appreciated the fact that the food wasn't kind of triangle sandwiches which were just like egg and custard or something i don't know um, so i really appreciated how delicious the food were was um I really I feel like I over people like I don't think there's loads of huggers in the bioinformatics communities but they definitely received a hug from me and um, maybe uh, against their will but it was really nice it was basically nice to kind of touch people and just say like hello real person in 3D um, and uh, but um, maybe slightly more seriously I think one of my favourite moments was kind of uh, looking across and seeing uh, a colleague from my kind of previous life who'd come um, primarily to kind of uh, just to see what I was up to now. And he was having a kind of very fizzy conversation with someone in my team about tree sequences in, in diverse genomes and um, just seeing like the fizz and sparkle between them as they were brainstorming. Um, and it was very much like you know, my previous life and my new life coming together with lots of excitement. So that really gave me some warm fuzzies.
0: <laughs> and just looking sort of a, maybe a little bit ahead into the future, was there anything which stood out to you, which made you think, yes, this is, I've heard something which is going to shape the way that genomics is in the future. Um, and, I, and I heard that here.
2: I guess for me, I've I'm, I'm been very familiar with kind of artificial intelligence methodologies and approaches. And I've always been applying them in kind of healthcare and phenotypic data rather than um, genetic information. And um, so it's really interesting for me to see actually how methods I'm very familiar with in a domain that I'm less familiar with are, are having equally seismic shifts and changes to what, what we're doing. Um, but I think maybe... The death of the GWAS type presentation took you by surprise because that was certainly kind of my, my way into learning more about, about genomics.
0: Um maybe I'll just throw it out to Francisco Diallo and Alona. Has anybody got something that they saw and really thought, wow, that's where genomics is going to be in five years or 10 years?
3: You know, for me, most of it was about incremental improvements. Um Probably presentation from, from Darin, but I was very familiar with the material, um, so he was talking about um, gita- digitalizing of pathology. So if we finally managed to do it, it would be big thing, especially if we can do interpretation of genomic data together with uh, live imaging data that would arrive at the same time of the genome and these two can fit together to patient diagnosis and predictive of treatment.
0: And just to be be clear about what that is, that would be taking digital images of, say, a piece of cancer, a piece of tumour, and then using that in concert with the genomic data to make better diagnosis and better treatment predictions.
3: Yes, yes. Because at the moment, if a pathologist is not sure about diagnosis, they just send uh, slides physically around the country in the envelope. So <laughs> we have to solve it somehow. But of course, if these data start coming to us in a real, a, a, as a live data, uh, together with genomic data, I think it will be a like, big step forward for interpretation of um, tumour data.
0: Talia?
1: So for me, it's probably, uh, I can cite uh, again Professor Dana Barale when. I asked her, "Well, how do you see diagnostics in the future?" And she said, "I'm a clinician. I want to have a one-bottle test, uh, and that means like when you get like you have a patient, you take a sample, or maybe a few different samples at the same time. You get all those different tests at the same time. So the way stuff we we do it now, we." Sometimes starts from whole genome, sometimes you don't start from whole genome. You find something say, oh, this might be interesting. Well, now I would need to do to look at RNA, maybe I need to look at proteins, but when I need to call the patient again, um, that takes maybe another several months because a lot of these patients, especially in rare disease, uh, Patients can be very severely affected, it can be disabled children, which are not so simple to, br- to bring in clinic, to organize to the samples. Then you need to send it to another research lab to do some tests and it can take a very long time to get an answer. So what we need, I mean, we I think we did huge progress uh, implementing uh, whole genome sequencing in clinical service. Um, we are not completely there yet, but we doing it for number of conditions and number of things. Um, and now we start need to start thinking and uh, planning on how we can implement other tests which supplement and which takes us beyond the genome.
0: Yeah, Francesca, I can see you edging towards the mic. I feel like you've got something yeah. prepared.
4: You know, I think that it's, it's hard also to predict what will happen in three years or five years' time. Uh, but there are, there are trends No, For example, people will need more than just genomics data uh, to bring additional benefits to patients. So different types of data. Um, probably the role of AI will be greater for both research and clinical care. Uh, so, but it's going to be hard and hopefully it's going to be different uh, because that might be connected to the idea of bringing new benefits to patients also. Of course.
0: Um, and I we're running out of time. So I'm just going to run through all four of you in a lightning quick round. Give me a single word that sums up the conference for you alana
3: inspiration dahlia energy
0: maxine fizziness and Prost. <laughs> oh perfect well thank you all so much for um spending your time here and uh thank you to our listeners um of the g for listening into this discussion and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it comes into the mainstream of healthcare and society. You can find videos of the talks at the event website www.genomicsresearchsummit.com Just register online and you'll be able to access the whole day's agenda through the agenda page. And if you have any views on this topic or if you have a person you'd like us to interview, please do drop us an email at podcast@genomicsengland.co.uk. We really appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to The G Word and thank you To Dahlia, Alona, Francisco, and Maxine.